the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. God sent Jesus, the Messiah, down, being born to Mary and Joseph. He lived a normal life marked by obedience to God's word and grew up in the town of Nazareth. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptizer and was led by the Spirit of God to a desert wilderness and fasted for forty days, where Satan would tempt him. He then returned to Nazareth, teaching in the synagogue as was his custom. Jesus was rejected by his hometown and began teaching in Capernaum. He healed many people of various diseases, blindness, and leprosy. Jesus also cast out demons from many of those afflicted. Despite the miraculous taking place in their midst, the scribes and Pharisees hated Jesus because he went against rabbinical traditions, only using the word of God. Jesus silenced them with his wisdom. He began to teach the disciples and people of the area. He taught them three blessings of God's kingdom and three woes. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 6, verse 21. In verse 21, Jesus said, Blessed are ye that hunger now, for you shall be filled. The word there, hunger, means to have a strong desire to attain a goal. And again, since Jesus had taught in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are ye that hunger after what? Hunger, thirst after righteousness. So we understand it's not hunger for food here, but it's after righteousness. Now, he says, if you hunger and thirst after, you know, the Lord, if you're pursuing what God wants, his ways, his heart, well, it says you'll be filled. And now that word filled refers to the fattening of animals. It means to be content and satisfied. You have everything you need. You know, people try many things to make life satisfying, don't they? Let me ask you, is it a blessing to try and fill that void but come up empty time after time? No way. I used to be athletic. I think I still am, but then I get out there and get hurt because I'm not. I had this one go-to shot when I would play basketball with, with, with the brothers or whatever. And, you know, and, you know, now when I go to it, clank, clank, clank. But I think, no, this works. It works. And you keep clanking it and clanking it. That's not satisfying. And, and it's the same way in life. It's no blessing to try and fill that void but come up empty time after time after time. If you're doing that, it's time to stop going to that well. Time to stop taking that shot. See, when I search for satisfaction from the Lord, then I come away content, the Bible says. That's what Jesus says. Now, this is not a magic potion. You know, it's not, well, if I read my Bible, I'm immediately happy. No. <laughs> the idea here is Jesus is building here. Contentment starts with humility that results in a pursuit of knowing the Lord. And so my satisfaction, it comes from a closeness to him, not the absence of problems. It comes from a closeness to him in the midst of my problems, not the absence of problems. And the next principle confirms that. 
For he also says, blessed are you that weep now, for you shall laugh. The word there, weep, it means to cry audibly, openly. In other words, you're doing it in a way where you're not holding anything back anymore. If we're going to live a life that's worth living, number one, you know, we need humility. Number two, we need to be pursuing the Lord. But number three, we have to trust the Lord. You can't hold stuff back from him and expect to have a life that's worth living. It's no blessing to ignore the problems you're facing or to hold down the pain so that nobody sees and everything just looks fine. Jesus promises that when we turn to him with our pain, there is a solution. You say, well, what is it? Well, I'm in pain right now. Well, there's different solutions for different pain. (laughs) I can't tell you, well, this is the magic pill. That's not the point. The point is, is that Jesus has a solution when you're in pain. And he's there for you. And the promise is this. The promise is that no matter how difficult the suffering you're going through right now, he says, you shall laugh. You will laugh again. You will smile again. You will find genuine joy both in this life and the next again. And we sang that song, nothing and no one comes close to you. Can anyone else promise that to you? Can anyone else promise you that they will make sure you will smile again, that that you will laugh again? I don't know of anything or anyone that can promise that to me except the Lord. I know he can, that I'll find genuine joy both in this life and the next. He can, because he can keep that promise. And so if we're gonna have a, live a life that's worth living, we have to trust the Lord. You have to put your trust in him and pour your heart out to him with whatever it may be. The fourth and last principle that Jesus mentions here to living a life that's worth living, he says, is having the right focus. He says, blessed are you when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. The word there, hate, it means to strongly dislike someone with the implication of aversion and hostility. This is the Star Wars cantina, I don't like you, because they're going to pull out a blaster next. That's the type of I don't like you that's going on here. This is not, well, yeah, I just don't really like working with that guy. No, this is someone who they dislike you enough where they don't want to be around you at all, and they actually feel hostile feelings when you're around. Blessed are you, he says, when people feel that way toward you, when they shall separate you from their company. Not only do they stay away from you, but they want to exclude you and get rid of you when everyone's doing something. When they reproach you, the word means to insult you. Blessed are you when they cast out your name as evil. This is when they want to slander your reputation. This is when they want to keep others, and what convince others to exclude you too. It's interesting, that word was used when you were booing someone off the stage back in Greek culture, Greek theater. Boo, get that guy off the stage, horrible! You know, kind of like you with me when I'm five minutes over my sermon. (laughs) Blessed are you when that happens, not just when it happens, but he says, for the sake of the Son of Man, for the Son of Man's sake. This isn't about when people treat you bad because you're being a jerk, you have a poor attitude, right? This is when people do this because of your association with Jesus. Now, I don't tend to jump up and down for joy about anything. Like, I've, I've got four children, love them, I'm super happy. I didn't jump up and down. I'm not the type of person that jumps up and down a lot. So why would I jump up and down for joy when people hate me, exclude me, insult me, and try to get other people to hate me? 
Well, Jesus explains. He says, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. He actually gives two reasons. It's no blessing to hide your faith all the time. It's no blessing to worry about what people will think of you if you share your faith. That's stressful. When you're worried about that, that's stressful. And it leaves you feeling like a phony and a failure when you don't share your faith. So Jesus reminds us here, he says, listen, blessed are you when you don't worry about that because your reward is great in heaven. Look at 1 Peter chapter one with me, verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy, in other words, we didn't earn it, he has begotten us again, given us new life, unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that doesn't fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you who are kept now. It's reserved in heaven for us, but we're kept now by the power of God through faith under that salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, we have this awesome promise of this inheritance in heaven, this awesome reward in heaven. That's what Jesus is talking about. And we have confidence now, even though we're not there yet, that it's waiting for us. But look at what Peter continues to say. Wherein, or because of this, right now you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, it's not everybody's experience, but if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. And that word temptations is referring to persecutions. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. We may suffer persecution. We may suffer someone's hatred because of our association with Jesus. But Jesus is saying, don't be happy because people mistreat you or they're threatening you. Be happy because your association with Jesus doesn't change how your story ends one bit when they're persecuting you for that. They might affect your job. They might affect your living. They might affect your life experience. They might affect how happy you are to be around them. But one thing they can never change is what happens when you breathe your last year or the Lord Jesus comes back. They can have no impact on that. They can't alter it one smidgen. I don't know about you, but so many things are unsure in this life. Isn't it good to know that my hope of being with Jesus forever can't be moved by anything somebody does to me? I mean, what can't be moved in your life? Your job? Some of you guys have experienced shockers over your course of your life. Your home, some of you experience shockers like that. There are your finances. There are things that we, even we think are regular and sure, but the truth is, is that none of those things are sure. But this is. So when this happens to you, number one, you're blessed because you have a great reward. But secondly, that cannot be changed by any of your circumstances. But secondly, for in the like manner, the second blessing, for in the like manner did their fathers under the prophets. The second reason you're blessed is because when you're excluded because of your association with Jesus, you get to join a new association that includes some unheard of, unknown people like Elijah or Mary or Daniel. Doesn't that sound cool? You might be saying, yeah, well, I mean, but we're all Christians. Like, everybody's gonna get to meet Daniel. Everybody's gonna get to meet, you know, Elijah. You know, what's special about that? Well, there's a special kinship for those who suffer persecution. In James chapter 1, verse 12, and Revelation 2, verse 10, it mentions something called a crown of life. And it says it is for those who bravely endure temptation. And the temptation there is the same word here. It refers to persecution. 
The crown of life is for those who have patiently endured trials, for those who bravely confront persecution for Jesus Christ, even to the point of death. And there's a special kinship that you will have with those who experience the same. It's not that you get to heaven and Daniel looks at you and he's like, ah, no, you never spent a night in the lion's den. Go over there with Pastor Will. It's not that. There's something special, being able to sit down and go, tell me your story. Like if you've ever been through something and it resonates with you, and then you look at them and go, do you mind if I tell you my story too? And then, you know, you're kind of crying together. Well, I, I cry, so maybe you don't. But, you know, you're, you're, just, you're, you're just enjoying the testimonies. There's a special kinship, a special reward that you'll share, an association that whatever you're excluded from here will be more than made up for there. These four conditions of the blessed life, humility, pursuing God, faith, proper focus, this is the, the, produces a life that God approves of, wants us to experience, but they have a counterpart. And verse 24 through 26 explains them, four counterparts to them. Jesus says, but woe unto you that are rich, for you have received your consolation. The word woe here, it's the opposite of blessed. It's a cry of pain. When you would say, oh, how blessed is the person who does this? This is a cry of pain and a declaration of misfortune. It's like Jesus is saying, how blessed you'll be, how happy you'll be if this is how you live your life. But I am sad for this group because of how bad they will have it when they live their life this way. Now, since the woes are the opposite of the blessings, rich here does not refer to material wealth. It refers to those who hold on to their pride and reject their need for a savior. For it says they have received their consolation. They have nothing left to desire. Literally, it means they have everything they want already. One of the saddest positions in life is believing you're okay with the, without the Lord. It's one of the saddest places you can be in life is believing you're okay without the Lord. That kind of pride is so dangerous because it's self-deceptive. No one can tell you you're wrong. You know, when you talk to somebody and you begin to tell them, hey, you need the Lord. I want to tell you about the Lord. They're like, no, man, I'm fine. I'm a good person. And then you, you say things like, okay, let's go through the Ten Commandments. You know, how many of them have you kept? And like, well, none of them. Okay, so you think you're going to heaven or hell? And with a smile on their face, I've, I've seen it a hundred times. People go, heaven? Why? You're violated every single one of God's commands. Yeah, but I'm a good person. And you just, how? By what definition? Pride is self-deceptive. I would ask you this morning, does that describe you? Or are you honest with God by recognizing your need for him to rule your heart instead of you ruling your heart? You know, do you allow others to speak into your life? Because your answer to that question will tell you what kind of quality of life you truly have. If you're someone that doesn't allow others to speak in your life, if, if it's always an argument, always a fight, when someone's trying to challenge you in your walk with the Lord or encouraging your walk with the Lord, that tells you what quality of life you have. Because the Bible says a wise man receives instruction. Well, the next woe, he says here, first one's pride. The second one is self-deception. He says, woe unto you that are full, for you shall hunger. The word full there means those who have found satisfaction and don't need it anymore, think they don't need it anymore. John D. Rockefeller was worth $1.4 billion when he died, making him one of the wealthiest men in history. When once asked how much money is enough money, Rockefeller replied, just a little more. Just a little more? He had $1.4 million in the early 1900s. Or I said billion, I'm sorry, $1.4 billion. Just a little bit more? 
One of the saddest positions in life is to have gotten what you wanted and deceive yourself, and then you deceive yourself into thinking that it will keep you happy forever. That strong desire, that hunger that can only be satisfied with the Lord, it will come back again. And you'll say, I just need a bit more. I just need a bit more. I just need a bit more. And I would ask you, does that disappointment and dissatisfaction describe you? Guys, stop going back to that well because the result's always gonna be the same. The bucket's coming up empty. Change your mind and hunger for a closeness to the Lord. Pursuing him is the only place of satisfaction. The third key to a wasted life, pride, self-deception, and then thirdly, pursuit of pleasure. He says, woe unto you that laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Now, God isn't against laughter. You know, everything isn't moribund up in heaven. It's not like someone tells a joke and the Lord's going, there'll be none of that here. That's not what he means. He is against the pursuit of pleasure, though. See, much of life, and if you haven't learned this yet, it's probably the most important lesson you need to learn. Much of life consists of denying myself to do what needs to be done. Much of life consists of denying myself to do the right thing whatever that may be. That's what life is about. A person who refuses to do that may laugh a lot in the moment, in that moment, but in the end, you will weep over a wasted life. There are only two things you can take to heaven, yourself and others. That's it. So can you imagine being separated from God and those who cared about you for all eternity because all you cared about was consistently you? And all you consistently thought about was you? That is truly a sad state to be in. And if that describes the way that you do life right now, that you never say no to you, turn around before it's too late. Now the fourth key to a wasted life is seeking the applause of men. Verse 26, he says, Woe unto you, when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. The word there, well, is interesting. It means to have good moral character. Don't we want people to think we have good moral character? Why would Jesus say woe unto you when everyone thinks you have good moral character? When everybody out there is going, that's a good guy, that's a good lady. Woe unto you when everybody's saying that because that's what their fathers did to the false prophets. What's Jesus saying? I'm not gonna ask you to forgive me, but I am gonna probably step on some toes. I'm gonna ask you to listen to me and hear me out. Mahatmas Gandhi is revered by most everyone in the world, even many Christians. Someone just showed me a photograph of, that a pastor had in their office and had a picture of Jesus, and Gandhi was on there as well. Most people revere him as a great man. Did you know that while Gandhi taught that his followers should not sleep with their wives, he taught they should be chaste and pure to focus on God and others and deny, to deny themselves? Did you know that while he taught that his followers shouldn't sleep with their wives, that he was perfectly fine if they slept with him? He would require husbands and wives to sleep separately from their spouses, but he would invite those women to sleep naked in his bed as an experiment to prove his self-control. He regularly bathed and slept with multiple naked women over the course of his life, some of them as young as 14 years old. In my understanding, we call that child abuse. In my understanding, we call that taking advantage of someone. I would dare say someone like this should end up on a Me Too page somewhere. And yet, people revere him. Why in the world would the world revere such a man? Because that's how the world treats false prophets. Gandhi was surrounded by idolizers and sycophants who shared his perversions. And when anyone spoke out against him, they were ostracized or silenced. 
And so while this man lived his life thinking he was closer to God than everybody else, claiming he was closer to God than everybody else, claiming that he was accomplishing much for the people of India, securing their freedom and rights, he was in reality self-deceived and living a wasted life. One of the saddest things is to gain the applause of men and even accomplish much in the here and now only to have all that time and energy amount to nothing in eternity. Nothing. One of the greatest kings that Israel had from a fiscal, military, or geopolitical perspective was Ahab. And this is not in mock of our president, but if there was someone that you said, we need to make Israel great again, this is the guy you would look at. This is the guy you would look at and say, that's our man. This guy can fix our country. He can fix our nation. Ahab, though, was an idolatrous man. He married Jezebel, who was a pagan prophetess, pagan priestess, who introduced Baal worship into the northern kingdom to the point where God said there was only 700 people in Israel who had not bowed the knee to this false god. Ahab was a man who took a nation that was already far from God and hurled them into spiritual decline. And what was his legacy? Well, the influence he had on his nation, in particular his family. He had a daughter named Adaliah wonderful chap. Adaliah married the king of Judah. And Adaliah, she outlived her husband and then her son who became king after her husband. And when her grandchild was then supposed to become king, she decided to murder all of her grandchildren and to steal the throne, nearly wiping out the line of the Messiah. That's Ahab's legacy. And yet, if you were living in Israel during that time, you would say, this man has made our country great. Because we're prospering financially, our military strong, geopolitically, we've got alliances, everything's looking good. I don't know about you, but at the end of my days, I don't want the applause of men. I want the applause of heaven. I want to be able to say that my life was well lived. And that means being someone who looks for the applause of heaven, even at the expense of the ridicule of man. This start to the sermon, I could really sum it up with some other words that Jesus spoke. In Matthew 16, where he said, if any man wants to be my disciple... Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And then he said, for what can a man give in exchange for his soul? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? How much is your soul worth to you today? I can tell you this. It's worth a lot to God. Enough that he sent his son to die for you so that you wouldn't perish but that you would have life everlasting. If you do not know the Lord, if, if you are not living the life that, that he wants to live, if you haven't humbled yourself, confessed your need to God, repented of your sin, put your faith in Christ, if you're not pursuing the Lord, then can I please plead with you this morning? Please repent and please give your life to Christ. Now, if you know the Lord today, I want to read to you a quote by J.C. Ryle. He said, poverty, hunger, and sorrow, and persecution are the very things which man labors to avoid. Riches and fullness and merriment and popularity are precisely the things with, with which men are struggling to attain. Isn't that true? So this message, it challenges us, doesn't it? It challenges us to some honest self-examination. Do we actually believe what Jesus says here? And are we living it out? Do I believe Jesus' words from this passage? I believe that it's only in doing so that our lives will show that our God is real to a world that needs desperately to see something more than just religion. They need to see our Jesus. In a culture that increasingly puts the pursuit of self and pleasure above all, being a good father means showing our kids the opposite. If you're a father today, that's what your kids need to see. 
Today of all times in history, we must show a younger generation what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, that our God is real and that how you live matters. And we do so by denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him. God's kingdom and values are countercultural. He calls the weak and humble to follow him. He builds his kingdom on his own nature, the meek, gentle, and lowly. This is the only way we can come to God, humbly on his terms. We must recognize that we can't save ourselves, that God's plan and ways are better than ours. He alone dictates to us what is right and wrong. But if we will not come on his terms, we will not come at all. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.